You're listening to the Debate Without Debate podcast, a podcast that empowers us to break through our echo chambers through real conversations with everyday people. Here, we provide a forum for deliberation without all the smoke and mirrors that you typically see on the news. Welcome to episode 20. Welcome back to the Debate Without Debate podcast into our 20th episode. Joey, we're finally at 20, which is kind of ridiculous. This week, we have a very anticipated conversation, one that I've really wanted to have for a while. She seems like an amazing person. Her resume is extremely large. Welcome, Nadia, to the podcast. We're really happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So Nadia, what we do with everyone who comes on this podcast, Joey and I both know you, maybe some people know you as well, but could you give us a little bit of your background, what you do, what makes you so popular? Oh gosh, I mean, I don't really feel popular, but (laughs) um, uh, so I'm Nadia Komodo, I'm 21 years old and I'm a rising junior at Harvard College, and I run an organization called Period the Menstrual Movement, which is an organization I founded when I was 16, and we are an organization that fights to end period poverty and period stigma through service, education, and advocacy, Um, and we do all of this through youth engagement, so we have about 450 campus chapters in all 50 states in 30 countries now. Um, I'm taking a leave of absence to keep growing the organization, and I just published my first book, Period Power, um, with my publisher, Simon & Schuster, and so I've been on speaking and book tour for that, and splitting my time between our period headquarters in Portland and New York City, where my new company is headquartered. So outside of period, I'm chief brand officer at a company called Juve Consulting, which is a Generation Z marketing agency. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Just on the onset, it seems like you do a ton of stuff. How do you figure out to organize all yeah, of that? It's crazy. Um, honestly, I'm still very much figuring it out. Like, <laughs> I think it's it, it. I think it's like a constant battle. And um, um, I mean, like even this week, I've just been trying to get sleep. But like, honestly, like it's it, it's manageable to me because most of my work doesn't really feel like work for me. You know, like mm. I do the work because I'm just very very um. I'm very like passionate about this work and I mean with period I would be doing it anyways even if I wasn't paid or making any money and um I think that like to me this is what I would be doing in my free time anyways. That's awesome. So you've mentioned period a lot which seems to be the thing that you guess get most notoriety yeah. for. What I'm most curious about is your genesis story cuz I know that you said that you started this whole movement uh at 16 years old but do you have a particular moment which you can pinpoint and tell tell us about where you're just like, damn, I really need to get involved in this? Yeah, I mean, so I founded this organization when I was 16, actually after my family experienced um, living without a home of our own. And during that time, I talked to a lot of homeless women who were in much risk living situations that I was in and heard their stories of using like toilet paper and socks and brown paper grocery bags and cardboard to take care of their periods. And I think it was like a combination of that. And then, you know, then learning about how this is such an issue internationally and then learning about how there were systemic barriers like the tampon tax. Um, So the tampon tax, I think learning about that was a really big 
push for me to finally want to do something. Um, so in 2014, there were 40 states in the U.S. that had a sales tax on period products, considering them luxury items. Um, meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra and like donuts and cowboy boots and chapstick are like considered essential goods and don't have that luxury tax. Right. So um, I think it was kind of like realizing that and kind of piecing together, like, in my vision, like, where period products exist in an equitable way. Like, I really believe that they should be as accessible as toilet paper is. And, um, and so, yeah, I started this organization with kind of a goal of just serving, like, the Portland community. And, I mean, here we are, like, four years later, which is kind of crazy. And we're, like, actually now the largest youth-run NGO in women's health in the world, which is really exciting. That's awesome. And congrats on that. I have been following your your movement a little bit for not too long, only about six months. But I have to say, I love what y'all are doing. And I also love what you put out there to the world, Um, especially over social media. You seem to be very positive, but also to be able to focus on a lot of political issues that people are having a hard time talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what our whole movement is like starts with right like the fact that people are uncomfortable to talk about periods so we really talk about it and I mean like I think that as a personality I'm kind of like that like I've always really liked doing what everyone else like doesn't want to do you know um and and like so for me on my personal social media I think I really push myself to use the platform that I have to talk about issues that I really care about or to talk about issues that young people might not be paying attention to, but that I really feel like we should be paying attention to. Um, But I also really push myself to be super vulnerable about like what I've been through, what my family's been through and like why I do the work that I do. Absolutely. Super sick. So how is it like taking an idea as a 16-year-old girl and making it a reality? How did that work out? Because it seems to be the hardest thing when it comes to starting, whether it be a nonprofit or a business or a yeah. podcast or whatever. How do you take that, that seed that gets there from your own personal experience and build it out? Honestly, I have no idea. Like, I think that people always ask me, like, well, how do I do this? What is, like, the step-by-step on how to start a nonprofit? And, like... I'm honestly like my answer to that is like there is no like and I and I feel the same way about running for office like I so I ran for office when I was 19 um and I mean with starting a business starting an organization or writing a book like there is no right answer if there was a set like cookie cutter way everybody would be doing it for clout right but like I think that in reality it really is just about like being passionate about a certain thing and then just deciding to take action and I know that sounds so simple but like I meet so many people who are like I've been thinking about this idea for five years and I just haven't figured out how to get started and it's like well the reason you're not doing anything is because you think that there's like a set thing you're waiting for to get started and my point of view is that like that's that assumption is the biggest mistake that you can make right like when I started my nonprofit, and I still have no I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing but like I was literally googling questions like what is a nonprofit, and what is the IRS and what is a board of directors and then just like would fill out whatever form it took me to and was just taking action and I think that like just kind of like go fuck it and just go for it was kind of the mentality that I had and like why we've been able to get where we are like yeah we make mistakes but we like don't really you know feel like gloomy about it we just go for it anyways and I think it was the same thing about like starting you know when I we relaunched you consulting so the Gen Z marketing agency I'm working on 
We work with like small companies all the way up to now over like 20 Fortune 500 companies. We just opened up headquarters here in Times Square where our full-time staff is. We employ like people ages 14 to 22 and deploy them out to, um, you know, work with corporate executives on marketing and digital strategy, right? But when we were starting that, like there was no set of like how you start a consulting group. Like we didn't even really know what marketing was, right? But I think that like why we've been able to get where we were is like, okay, even though we don't, we're going to like ask questions and admit what we don't know and like just take action anyways. Yeah, I love that. And I think Joey and I could also really relate to that. Joey, he could probably speak more about this than I can. The researching phase for us just to start even something like this, yeah. which isn't as expansive yeah, as quite, what it's you've not, done. It's not to the same magnitude as what you guys are working with, but the research component is super I mean, strenuous. It's, it's, and it's Yeah. It's somewhat, it's, it's a little bit humbling at first to it's walk into a situation humbling. and say, hey, um, I'm going to go and pursue this initiative and then just get slapped in the face with a lot of things that you don't know. So for real, kudos to you and uh, the rest of Juve Consulting for making it a real thing and taking an idea and allowing it to flourish. Yeah, when Joey and I started this, one thing that we really wanted to do is we wanted to make it an established company. Now, we, we don't make any money off of this, at least yet. We don't have any ads um, mainly because we, we want to stick to our creative craft first before we start getting people to buy space on here. Um, but when we tried to create just the actual company itself, uh, I was not only emailing people that I know who were um, knew some of the legal side of stuff, I was talking to people um, about the finance of how to actually do stuff like this. There's a whole startup cost and just trying to review all of that, as well as all the laws that are just ridiculously complex for no reason. Um, it can feel like a lot, but you're definitely right. There's the start, once you have it, you just have to go with it. And I think that's something very valuable. And I'm, I hope that um, it can inspire some other people to do that as well. I'm sure it will. Um, so when it comes to uh, period especially, what was your strategy like when it came to growing it? When it came, because you mentioned that it started off as just helping people in your own community. When or how did you take those steps to make it into a national thing, into getting all this attention for it? Um, you know, I mean, for us, it was just really social media. Like, I'm a huge believer in the power of social media, and I think that's the benefit of having young leaders. Um, that like we are all naturally on social media and there's a way for us to, you know, simply, you know, be ourselves and share what we're doing and have that somehow lead to like the growth of an organization. Absolutely. Um, and when it came to you, you obviously have an expansive team now. It's more than just you. How did you go about finding people that you knew were not just interested in uh, helping people when it comes to this menstrual movement, but how did you figure out people who are actually fit for the jobs that you needed when it came to your higher level executives on the nonprofit? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, when it, when it comes to hiring people on basically um, to your nonprofit, something that you start from the ground up, what was, what was it like trying to build something more than just you? I mean, I think that it was daunting, of course. There were a lot of, like, no's and people laughing at us along the way. But, like, I think that at the same time, like, I found that very motivating. Like, I think every time I got more pushback, it was, like, more 
motivation, like, this is why I have to do this, you know? Um, and I think I felt the same way in like everything else I've done is like, the more people doubt me, the more I'm like, let me show you, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, I think that like one of the dangers of loving what you do and, you know, being in entrepreneurship is, um, is just like that it can get very addicting, you know, like, I think that one of the things I have to watch out for is that, like, I get so obsessed with work that, like, I sacrifice a lot more of, like, myself in terms of, like, my physical, like, my social life, like, my physical health, like, to just pursue this work. And I think, like, that self-care element is something that I'm always working on because I think as a young person, it can be feel so exciting to feel that sense of empowerment and to do something bigger than yourself. Um, but it, it's, 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 like, it's like a dangerous level of enticing for me, you know? That is that is straight facts. I struggle yeah. with that on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> literally, only six months ago, my my life just felt like it was totally out of my hands. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering what what do you do? I guess on a day to day basis that checks in with yourself, make sure you're not going too fast into all this. Um. I mean, I think a lot of it is like surrounding myself with people who. Um, like surrounding myself with people who will like call me out when I need to have a check in with myself, right? Like my mom or like my family's always like, okay, like, you know, just go, go take, take time, like go to the gym, like, you know, go, like you, you seem like you just need a day off, like people who will push me to do it because like, if I'm not checked on that, I'll just keep working. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think it's like I have wake up calls all the time that I need to do it more. Like I go to the gym every day, but like last night I went to the gym at fucking 1.30 a.m., which is probably not the most healthy thing to do. Um, (laughs) But it's also something where like I reflect on my life every now and then being like, okay, am I like because my work makes me so happy too, right? Like that I think that um, it's like hard to find people who, who feel that same way and like will have relationships with you and like a friendship or like more than that way. I actually like just got out of a like a romantic relationship last week and was like mm. broken up with because I like focused too much on my career, um, mm. which is like a whole other thing. But it was like, I think that's been something I've been thinking a lot about, right? Of like the sacrifices that it takes when I do give so much of myself to this work. And when even when I'm not supposed to be thinking about it, it's still on my mind, right? And I think that like that was kind of a wake-up call for me of like is this good for the people around me and like is this is this a lifestyle that I can maintain like for the next few decades I would love to because honestly like I love my work like that that's not gonna change like I'm not gonna stop prioritizing it and I think that even over the next year especially with everything happening in politics and like reproductive rights and gender equality I think we have a really big potential to keep taking action um but I think that like that self-care element and like self-control in terms of like my work time and commitment is something that I really always have to be careful of. Mm. So is this element of self-assessment like on a regular basis or is it kind of like when needed? I think it's a regular basis, but I don't really like pay attention to it. Like, 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 uh, like every single day I'm like, wow, I should probably get more sleep. Like, and I'm sleeping a significant amount. Like I'm sleeping, what, like five, six hours a night, but I just like, I do feel tired, you know, like just cause I think like, I mean, there are a lot of days when I'm like traveling every day or I have multiple speeches during a day. Um, you know, it's just like a lot of like in front of a lot of people and like, it's very performative and, um, you can get tiring. Um, but it's also super humbling because I like meet so many people who remind me like why I do this, but also remind me like what I don't know. Right. And how much more I have to learn. 
Um, but I think that like, even when I have that, okay, like I should probably take some breaks. And then I look at my to-do list and I'm like, okay, never mind. I'm going to forget about the break. I'll do that later. You know, like I think mm-hmm. I very much put it on the back burner. Like I've been posting about the importance of therapy and like the need to go to therapy and I haven't gotten like a, a year and a half, you know? Um, so, so I think that it's something where like, I know I should do it and it's something I'm glad I'm thinking about, but like, I mean, it, I, it, I do let it slip away from me for sure. It's really funny that you say that because this is an ongoing conversation with both me and Asher about um, when it's time to take a break because I feel like a lot of very successful people like you, you're on the rise, you're on social media, you're doing really great things. A lot of times people don't have the opportunity to take a break and reflect and really understand what's going on. And um, that reflection period can oftentimes uh, let you move forward 10 steps as opposed to one. So yeah. it's really great to hear that you're doing that. And uh, One thing that you mentioned before that I'd love to jump into, and it's something that Joey and I, I think have also had a conversation a little bit about on the podcast, um, is talking about how you utilize social media, not just in a business context, but also um, in a political context and a social context. Do you think um, social media can be a place of activism or is it what some people might call slacktivism, where you'll just post something being at a rally and then do nothing when you leave? Um, I mean, my sister and I talk about this a lot. And it's actually so, like my biggest pet peeve. Like I know so many and I'm friends with so many like people who are like slacktivists or like clicked. I, I don't call them slacktivists fact. because I don't really call. I don't think it's necessarily slacking because like, yeah, I actually think social media is a lot of work. Right. Like it is. It is a lot of like work to be able to, you know, like do your captions or like do your aesthetic or whatever that being said i think that there's there's such thing as like a clicktivist which i I think is like when you're doing activism purely for the clicks and like purely for the engagement right and like Mm. i think that yes anyone can call themselves an activist if they feel like it and i think activism is truly just like pushing against the status quo if you're using social media to do that do it right that being said i think that i do think that there's something to say like i think people who should be recognized as activists are people who don't just do it digitally right but like are doing real real work, work on the ground Right. Or doing substantive work that isn't just um, reflecting on on ideas, but is pursuing or like or is like pushing for the pursuit of new ideas. Right. So like, okay, an example of someone who I would call like a clicktivist is someone who like calls themselves an activist, but like has does not do any work on the ground. And like their work is purely just like bashing people on social media. Right. Or like sharing things um, or like don't carry on their work like through everything else that they do but an example of someone who 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 does a lot of their work on social media and is absolutely an activist is like sean king right like Mm -hmm. so sean king has like 1.3 million followers and he does a lot on social media and it is doing a lot of like you know amplifying you know new new like things that are happening in the world but as a lot of his own commentary and also has a podcast and also has a company like i think you see that it what his ideas are and what he's fighting for is reflecting in the rest of his digital work right so i'm not saying that digital like only to having things on digital does not is, is slacking i actually think that like i have a lot of respect for people who do things on, things on social media but you, you can like i mean you guys know you can tell when it's like fake you know like when yeah, it's like sure. when it's like purely because like you look really cute in like a a rainbow crop top for pride right but like that's that's the one <laughs> time you say, right like but that's the one time you say anything about it and like everything so else you true. do is like is like rather gendered and like not very sensitive about it like I think that when people post about it because it's convenient or because it's trending, that's when you like can question it, right? Um, and I mean, I, I I'm sure that I'm accused of this too, right? Like I I definitely know 
people might make fun of me because I, I do talk a lot about issues and I do amplify them. And I don't think everyone is aware of like how much work I do like on the ground that like isn't on social media. But I think, and I think that like, you know, that's the issue with social media is it doesn't show the full picture. And I think you just have to be aware of that. Yeah. yeah. So do you think that, because this is an ongoing conversation with both of us all the time, I see people posting things which don't seem very genuine. And I guess there's two questions coming out of this. One is, how do we combat clicktivism? And two, is it really necessary to combat clicktivism? Because at the same time, clicktivism still means publicity. Yeah. So I don't think we should combat clicktivism in the sense of like, I don't think it's, I think that there are so many other things that we should be focusing on. Right. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think if anything that like, it's more like, how can you push clicktivists or like, how can you push how you're using on social media to like mobilize in real life? Right. Like I love when clicktivists share things about period. And then like the people who see that take action. You know, like it's mm -hmm. fine if you're a clicktivist as long as you're like pushing people to take action in real life. And I, I think voter registration is a really good example of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. One thing that you've mentioned a bit now is how you're trying to figure out how to block some of the noise. You said that sometimes in the beginning of period you were laughed at. You say um, when it comes to this clicktivism topic, even that people might laugh at you and say the same thing about you. What how is it just innate maybe um but how do you block this noise out especially when yeah. you have people following basically your every move yeah i mean it, it, it's i think like it hasn't been as bad as like when i ran for office it was really bad and that was really hard and then like it like i think like at the end of the day like i think i maybe so on social media come off as this like tough like been through shit but now i'm successful like or like you know but like i think at the end of the day i still feel this feel like this like scared insecure 16 year old girl you know like I think yeah. that there's a big part of me that's still that person and so I think that I think that in complete honesty I I also block out a lot of the praise you know like when people post about me or like when people articles come out about me I like don't read them right like even if they're really mm -hmm. positive because it like it, it honestly it sometimes like makes me feel like a little bit awkward you know like you know like and, I, and this is actually something I'm really working on because I think all women especially should know how to take compliments you know like you know the whole like when you give a girl a compliment they're like oh no stop it that like is... I'm so ugly you know like and I'm like, yeah, and I'm like yeah. yeah and I'm like no as like a confident feminist woman I would like to be like thank you thank you for saying I'm amazing I also think I'm amazing right but like I know that there's a part of me that still feels super awkward and like worried that I come off as like too self-centered when I do that right so like for me when I read articles that are praising me like I think I equally shut them out because I'm like okay I want to stay genuine to my work and I want to stay genuine to like why I do this right like and and I think that like I mean especially like for example and I'm just gonna like not calling you out but like just as an example like when you sure. introduce me you're like Nadia who has like this huge resume right like so it becomes yep. it becomes like something that I'm identified with and like especially since I go to Harvard and like in high school like I was made fun of a lot for people saying that I was only doing period to get into Harvard Right. And like mm -hmm. I was o I was only doing it for the awards and like, yeah, I win a lot of awards. Yeah, I make money from speaking, but like that's not why I do it. And I think that, um, you know, I think that a lot of a lot of what I try to a lot of what I try to remi remind myself is, you know, you know, why I just basically like why, why I want to stay committed to the work in the right way. Yeah, the why I think is yeah. so important. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even for Joey and I going yeah. back to the why is almost something that we do monthly like we'll sit yeah. down 
literally for meetings and just talk about why are we putting out what we're putting out how do we make sure it is in line with that and even in terms of podcasting a lot of times people stop their initiative and stop their growth because they focus so much on the numerics the number yeah. the yeah. monetary value which they gain even in any aspect i mean people on youtube or just a- a- any person on their in their day-to-day life they focus on the monetary value and that a lot of times in, in hind- infringes on their ability to grow as a company so for us, we, yeah. <laughs> we've been asking the question of why a lot. And I, I also think it's yeah. really refreshing that you don't read either side yeah, of the situation and that you don't bind yeah. it. I personally, I, I relate to this a lot because I'm someone who does buy into a lot of the hype. Like when someone gasses me up, like if it's yeah. a teacher or anything, uh, like I just graduated high school and I'll have people say like good things about me. And I'm like, all right, like this is amazing. I'll feel good. And then Joey will turn to me and be like, don't listen to this stuff because then I'll turn around and say some super stupid stuff where I don't know anything, yeah. but I'll speak confidently. And so Joey likes to say now that he's the only one who can call me out on my BS yeah, yeah. because because people will look to me as if like I've done something, but I haven't done anything yet. Okay, I've that just being, done a little more. Yeah, but I think that being said, like I think that there is something to say of like you should recognize all that you have com- uh, have accomplished, right? Like yeah, for sure. and and I think like there's kind of a, a healthy balance between it. Like and I think that like the other thing is like you I mean even when thinking about numerics, I don't think you should ever do something for the clout or for the numerics. That being said, the people who get far are the ones who pay attention to it, right? Like yeah. because at the end of the day with social media, right? Like yeah, I don't do it for the social media followers, but am I where I am because I have a big social media following? Are more doors open to me and is more money made as an influencer because I have a social media following? Yeah, you know, like, so yeah, yeah strategically, I'm going to look at it, but that's that's not going to become my why. That's going to become a strategy that will advance my why. Like when I, okay, so for example, like one of the spaces I'm moving into right now is a lot of entertainment. So I'm developing this TV show and there's a documentary being made about me. And it's like, that's it's awesome. very, it's really exciting, but it's like a lot of like, oh my God, like I'm in the spotlight. So exciting, right? But I think that for me, I always remind myself like, I'm not, I'm not doing this work to be the star of a TV show, right? Like, that's not why. I'm doing this work mm-hmm. because I genuinely think that, like, we need to address period poverty, and I want to change policy to do that. But we can't do that until we change culture. And I think that the most powerful and incredible way to change culture is by moving into mass media, getting everyone posting about it, getting everyone talking about it. And so by growing a platform, social media, entertainment, and partnership with brands becomes a means to an end, right? But I think that uh, as yeah. long as that end is not the exposure, as long as the end is, like it serves a purpose then i think that like then i then i think that seems more authentic to me it seems like a delicate act as well like it's it and i've seen it almost too many times at least from an external perspective of people that you'll see who are huge but they're not they're not doing that much and they're also not depicting almost the reality of their life yeah yeah and it it's a very delicate act um how is there like a litmus that you, a litmus test that you can use for that type of stuff, or is it just no. gut reaction? I think yeah. it's I think it's gut reaction, but also like I mean, it, like I think this is why you have to block out the noise because I know some people might listen to this and be like, oh, she's this is just BS for her. Like, of course she cares about it. But I think it's like I think and I think in that sense, like your motives will always be questioned, and especially when you're in competitive places like Harvard, as an example, where like everyone is questioning your motives, like 
like, I think my, the most hurtful thing I hear people say behind my backs is like questioning my motives rather than like my legitimacy, right? Like, I don't care if you mm. don't believe in what I've done or if you don't believe in my impact, but I do care if you're questioning my like morality of like why I do it, right? And, but I think that you have to block that out because the sadness or like the, the you know, the self, the insecurity that that will cause is only going to hold you back, you know? And like, I know... Like, I know that I have a lot of supporters and I also know that I have a lot of haters, right? And I think that there is a part of me that, you know, that says, say, like, okay, if I'm getting bad press, whatever, like, that's still people who are looking at my stuff and, like, that's still people who are, like, obsessing about what I post and, like, those are still, like, if I'm reaching people who disagree with me, like, that's the whole point of what activism is, is, like, getting all these people to change their ideas, right? Um, yeah. But I think that, like, on terms of, like, self-confidence, like, a lot of it is, like, having just, like, always questioning what you do in a good way, right? And I actually, so I had a podcast interview earlier today that I, I thought was kind of problematic, actually, because they were interviewing me as, like, an example of a, like, once you find your confidence, you can accomplish anything, right? And, like, Nadia is an example of a woman who has, like, like you know, unwavering confidence, and that's why where she is today. And, and my thing is, like, I, I, yes, I'm confident in a lot of ways, right? Like there are, like, I, I do have the fortune of like, and I work really hard for it, but like, I do have the fortune of being able to wake up every morning and feel like I can speak out and like, I won't be punished for it, right? Or I won't be overly ridiculed. And I know that like, when I speak out, like it will be celebrated, right? And like, I'm very fortunate in that way. But it, I think that, I think I don't, I don't think that why I'm successful or like what keeps me going is that I have this unwavering confidence. I think that I have confidence in like, in, in yes, my capabilities, but I think that like, it is important to stay humble and and to stay questioning of yourself and to say and and you know to to not always be completely sure about your decisions and and to be thoughtful in that way that's super i really like that no it's refreshing here. and it's interesting that's all right yeah. uh listen that, that's that's how a conversation actually works so i appreciate the <laughs> sincerity of it um so you mentioned you, you dropped it in there a little bit a few times about running for office. Yes. I'm really curious as to why you decided, especially being in college and trying to run for office, why, why did you try and jump into that avenue? I wasn't really thinking like, honest, honestly, <laughs> like I, I don't regret it. I think that we, we did some really amazing waves. But like for me, it kind of came from I was super... I was super, you know, angered by the housing affordability, income equality, corruption in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And um, Cambridge was a special place for me because I sort of grew up coming in and out of the city. Um, and I ended up with this 80 page word document about what I thought city council could be doing better and started taking it to city councilors. And it became a joke on them and residents I was talking to of like, oh, if you have so many ideas, why don't you run yourself? Right. And so one day I looked up, what does it take for run for office? You have to be oh 18. Oh my God, this is the biggest I, love, I love this. And I literally was like, well, I'm overqualified because I'm 19. And so like in a night, decided to run for office, downloaded the forums, got 50 signatures, became a part of the ballot. And we ended up knocking on more doors than any other candidate in a 26 person race. And we didn't win, wow. but we made history with student youth turnout and like quadrupled student turnout in a lot of places um but it was it was rough because like I I kind of went into it wanting to like send a message to the city council and suddenly we were like had a viral national video right and like suddenly we had an audience of like a lot of pressure and at the same time I was a freshman in college I was at a school where like it is rather competitive 
I didn't really have a clear friend group at the time, so I didn't really have a support network. I was I did just hired on a first my first full time staff at period, so it was like trying to be a good manager, and was also working six jobs just to like try to make ends meet and like support my fam in any way I could. And so like the freshman sophomore year was like so rough, like it was just like I slept like two or three hours a night and was just like constantly like just working. I was I was can I would like do work, do school, do jobs, and then canvas and knock on doors for like four to six hours a day. And we knocked wow. on 20, 22,000 doors in a, in a, in a, in a city where there were like 21,000 people who voted, you know? Um, yeah. so it, it was a lot. And I mean, like, but for me, I think that like, I really went into it, like not expecting to win. Right. And, and I learned a lot about politics. I learned about a lot about like, I think if, if anything, it taught me to be unapologetically myself, because like that was an instance where like everyone who hated me was telling me what was wrong with me. And even the, my biggest supporters were, were telling me what was wrong with me because they wanted to help me win and to help me when they were like, OK, you need to change this and this and this about yourself. Right. So like the only solution was to just be mm. like, block it all out and be like, I'm just going to like be who I am because it like was causing me so much anxiety to like. I would second guess everything because like one political consultant would be like, cut your hair. The other one would be like, keep your hair down. One would be like, you know, get skinny. One would be like, you know, put on some more pounds and be relatable. Like it was everything. And I think that like, I just started second guessing myself. And to the point where I was like, this is, I do not have time to be second guessing myself like this. And like, you know, just being really unapologetically myself. That's super cool. I, I, we've been talking a lot about how politics can change an individual um, yeah. Since we're both fairly po- politically minded kids, um, we've had we've been involved in politics and watching what's happening on our uh, what's happening on the national level um, as lo- as well as the local level. And both of us have noticed. I think that you can add to this a little bit, Asher, that politics changes the person yeah. more times than the person changes one, politics. One of my friends. So I'm I'm gonna be going to Georgetown next year as a freshman, and. Yes. I'm I'm a government major, at least for right now, but one of my roommate, actually, who also runs a podcast, shout out to you, Everett, if you're listening, um, he told me this one thing. He's like, I am not okay with the fact that I feel like politics will change me sooner than I can change it. And that really resonated with me because I'm in between this phase where I'm like, I have an affinity towards helping people and I want to help people, but I can help people in a lot of different avenues and in a lot of different lanes. And if I pick politics, I might lose my ability to be, just like you said, my true self. Well, that's because because it's so hard to find. Yeah. And I was really disillusioned. Like I, okay. I never grew up wanting to be a politician, but as soon as I, like when I was running, I was like, maybe I do want this, but I, it actually really made me not want to run for office and like again and like think that like it's not for me because because I I mean even me being around so many candidates I would have all the we did like twice a week debates you realize everyone's just trying to get reelected everyone's just trying to go for the money yeah our, for sure. our system is still run by like everyone's just trying to get the most money like the best thing a candidate can do is just sit in a room and call donors you know and like and I hate that and I was yep. like the the fact like I mean even high up politicians like presidential candidates what are they spending the majority of their time doing fundraising you know like and my mm-hmm. worst favorite part of my job as an executive director of a nonprofit is fundraising you know like yeah. i i for me it's like you don't focus on the work you're focusing on getting reelected. and yeah of course there are some people who like don't do that but like at the end of the day their bottom line is thinking about how much money they're bringing on and like how they can run a successful campaign I think the other thing that I realized is like, I'm so passionate about certain issues. Like I'm so passionate about gender equality. I'm so passionate about housing affordability, which is why I ran for office. What I was not passionate about 
as much. And yeah, as a politician, you don't have to be passionate about every, every issue. But I think at this time in my life, I want to be able to focus and specialize and be really good at the activism I'm doing to truly make a difference in an area. And you spread yourself thin when you run for office. Because I was, majority of time, I was think, I was answering questions about potholes and bike lanes and housing codes yeah. and zoning codes and foreign investors and, you know, Amazon moving in and Facebook moving in and what I thought about that. And, and you know, like the, the climate change zoning codes and all of these things that like are absolutely important that you should think about. But like in the moment, I was not passionate about, you know, and and that's the reality of a, a political candidate. Yeah, for sure. How do you identify when you're passionate about something, at least from your own perspective? Definitely, especially, or I should say, especially for people who might be listening and might be asking themselves, like, how do I find that? I mean, I think, like, honestly, like, I, I mean... I, I, I think that if you like true passion will come like a, naturally, like, right. Like I, I think that I never went out being like, I need to find something I'm passionate about. Right. I think it was just constantly asking questions and like looking for things. And like the thing, the thing that I, when no one is around me that I start thinking about and the thing that brings me so much emotion like is the thing that I feel truly passionate about, right? From like the thing that brings me the most happiness when I'm working on it. to the thing that when I see news, makes me the most angry you know like I think like Mm -hmm. the thing that I can't stop thinking about is but I mean that being said I'm very passionate about a lot of things which is something I've always dealt with like I've always been very overcommitted I've always like you know and preach to that one yeah and like in in high school I was like doing professional ballet but also like on the boys varsity baseball team and like (laughs) and like doing 16 clubs and like now I limited my clubs at at Harvard like when I first got there I was doing like 11 clubs doing like MUN everything and then realized like okay I'm not passionate about this like at all but the thing I stuck with was like the competitive hip-hop team and so like I love dance I love like that's awesome yeah like I like I think you the thing that like in my free time that I just want to spend my time doing or spend talking about becomes you know like what 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 I would identify as my passion that being said I think passion and like being passionate is such a fucking overused word especially in this like age of like college admissions wanting to find passionate kids Uh you know like you you hear this whole like the most passionate like what are you passionate about why are you passionate like how do you find your passion like and so suddenly like you see all the gung-ho like kids trying to get into like ivy leagues they're like i'm like i'm really passionate about this and like the passion brought me this and it's just like okay like this is just becoming such a diluted word of like yeah. of, like what are you, you know what i mean so i i mean i use it all the time and like i use it in every interview because i am passionate about you know what i do but i think that it's like I, I just think that it's funny like that word and like the word empowerment i think has become like very key words yeah, I I think it's really funny that you say that because I noticed at being just out of the process, yeah. uh, having applied to like 12 schools, the focus is always on what are you doing right now? That's and, and the pressure almost seems to be like you have to have your whole life figured out when in reality you're like 18, you probably don't know shit, like you're just figuring stuff out. You're going to go to college, change and you're going to come out a whole new person. So I think it's it's really funny that you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um so one thing that you talked about was um your fundraising and how that's kind of like your least favorite. I I, I maybe I'm misjudging yeah. how you were saying it, but um what do you do to convince people who might not be very responsive to your message? Um, I, like what I'm picturing right now is just like a white cis male who's just like, 
who cares about this stuff? How do you convince people yeah. like that? I mean, for people who who don't support us automatically, what I think I always do is frame it not in the context of periods, but in the context of gender equality, right? And then also make it really personal to them, right? So okay. for that, yes, usually, honestly, like honestly, more conservative, like older white women, um, because men are so really? men are too wow. most older like conservative white men are so uncomfortable by periods that they won't say anything back. Right. Considering women will be like offended, you know, um, but I would say that huh. a lot of it is putting into context, like the fact that like you are here because menstruation exists and like makes human life possible. Your mom, your daughter menstruates on an average of 40 years of their life on a monthly basis. Would you ever want them to feel undervalued or them to feel anxious because of something that was naturally ha- happening to their body? Right. And then also putting in the context of gender equality of saying, this isn't just a women's issue. This isn't just about, you know, periods. If we're going to, if you believe that men and women are equal or any gender in between, and you believe in equal opportunity, this, the period poverty is a significant barrier to this. Periods are the number one reason why girls miss school and develop countries the leading cause of absenteeism for girls here in the u.s with period related pain um you know like we are actively being told that a natural need of ours is like something that we should shut up about or feel ashamed about or um is like a luxury to feel clean during you know and um i think it's also like have some empathy about like we think about what would it be like if you had no food like what would it be like if you like you know, never had period products and like didn't have access to a shower and didn't have always like unlimited access to laundry. And like anyone who gets their period, I think can like really empathize with that because it's a hassle, right? Like, and, and, and it shouldn't be. And, um, and I think that like, we like people really get it with the international examples of like, we can build all the schools or all the opportunities that we want, but if they're all dropping out when they're 13 years old, right. Or if they're all their cultural you know, practices because of something that actually happens to them, what's the point of investing those resources in the other opportunities, right? Like, and yeah. I mean, the same thing goes to the U S one in four women struggled to afford period products in the last year because of a lack of income. The first citywide study that was done about period poverty in St. Louis found that 46% of low income women had to choose between a meal and period products every month. You know, and like oh, the gosh. fact that the like 46 percent, you know, like I think the fact that we can point to things like that and realize like it's 2019. People have been menstruating since the beginning of time and we're just starting to talk about this, you know. And I think if we put it in context of yeah. like, look at how gender equality is defined, education, healthcare, economic mobility, representation and politics and decision making. We can pull examples of how period poverty or the period stigma stands in the way of achieving equal opportunity in all of those buckets so you can look at me and say i don't believe in gender equality and then that's like a whole other discussion but if you stand in front of me and you say i believe in gender equality and i'm, I'm i identify as a feminist or like i believe in women's empowerment and then you say you to periods and like you're, you aren't truly you're not thinking about the full picture and i think when you frame it in that way like you are able to convert a lot of people mm. love that um one thing that you sent over to us is that you're on leave right now from Harvard. So you took a leave of absence. Can you talk a little bit about what that process was like, how you decided on what the motives were yeah. behind it? Because a lot of people will take gap years before they even come in, but it seems like you're taking a gap year yeah, pretty much so, in between. I mean, well, my book was coming out um, and I, I sort of in, okay. in the October of the fall and I sort of felt like, you know, I just sort of felt like, um, like if I, my first book coming out felt like kind of a big deal, <laughs> like, and I, I was like, I, I think I would regret if I did this and half-assed it. Like, I really felt like this was something to give my, myself yeah. to. I mean, the other thing is like, I was literally so exhausted by the end of last year. Like, and I, and I, I'm actually going back to school in August and I'm terrified because I'm still going to be on speaking tour. 
you know? So like, like I'm actually, I'm, I'm trying oh to gosh. get my oh classes my only on Monday and Tuesday because I'm already booking like international and domestic travel, like every single week. So like even every week in September and October, I'm going to be Jeez. in three to four cities a week, you know, and like try to stop in for school. But I was doing that last semester. I was going to school, like flying in on Tuesdays for class, leaving for a Wednesday and then coming back on Thursday for a test, like, and like not really learning anything. And like going to Harvard is a big privilege. And I know that like, it's like the, like, it's literally like why my grandparents say they immigrated to America. Like, it is such a big privilege and then I realized like wow I'm going to Harvard and I like I was looking at Harvard like a chore you know like ugh, I have to go to class and I was like I hate that mm. I'm looking at it that way and I feel so grateful like I am I was I got it as a full financial aid low-income student you know and I think to be able to have that and like not like really like I even look back at my transcripts and I don't remember taking half the classes that I did like I might have gotten A's in them and I did like I did really well in school like I don't remember taking them I don't even remember a single book that I read like I just I, I think I started realizing I was doing things for the grade and not because I was learning and like and like, cause, and, and I, I, I know, and even though I say that, I know I'm going to go back in the fall and it might be the same way just cause like my heart's not it. And then like the mm. thing about high school is like you go, you like with grades, you're so motivated to learn and to understand the knowledge mostly because like you need to get good grades to get into a good college, you know? And then like now I'm in college and I went into college being like, I want to get into law school. And like now I actually like saw what law school is like and I'm like I do not want to do that I don't I want to be done with school as soon as possible because I want to like <laughs> be in the real world you know and so like because I have no like and and also the thing is like I'm my own boss I've never applied for a job like or since I was at 16 and I don't intend to like be applying for a lot of other jobs and when you talk to people in the real world like no one asks you what your fucking GPA is, you know? No one asks you what GPA you got in college. Facts. Like, the only reason it matters is if you're going to grad school, right? And, like, I, I decided I'm not going to grad school, hence, like, what is my motivation to get good grades, you know? So, like, yeah. Should yeah exactly and degrees. like i'm type a and so obviously i'm gonna try to get good grades even if i'm like fuck it like i'm obviously gonna try that being said like i think that like i i will openly say yeah like there's to me i'm trying to get done with school as soon as possible um with the little amount of work because i want to i want to just work and like i think that like i realize in the work that i'm doing and in the speeches and entertainment i'm working i don't think a college degree is necessarily gonna make a difference i think i think being able to like i think the benefit of college to me is like the freedom to learn whatever you want right like to learn things that like might not pertain to a career not be making about money or like advancing any sort of agenda simply because you're curious about something um and i think that's the beauty of college yeah so if you were to do anything differently would you like ever think of not going to college and just going full force on the projects which you have yeah right but now? i think only rich kids can do that because i think that like <laughs> like you can only do that if you have a lot of money because taking a gap year takes money. Like I'm in a very fortunate position that I could like come move to New yeah. York and travel every day and like, you know, you know, do all of this. And, and that's why gap years are such a like rich kid thing to do. Like you, like, like what, what world can you just like go travel around the world and find yourself? Right. Like, yes. Yeah, so important, but like acknowledge how much privilege that takes. Right. And, um, I think that hmm. I, 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 I couldn't take a gap year when I first started college cause I had no significant source of income i wasn't even being paid for period work then now i am um but i think that 
I think that I have no regrets about going to Harvard because Harvard is a name opens up a lot of doors, right? Like when, as soon as I started going to Harvard, the number mm-hmm. of press articles that came out were like homeless to Harvard, like Nadia's personal story, you know, like it, Harvard does open up a lot of doors. And like you, I meet these kids at Harvard who are like, oh, I'm here, like not for the name, but I'm like, everyone's here a little bit because of the name, you know, like, you know, Harvard does have a name. Like uh-huh. that's why when people ask you where you go to school, all Harvard kids are like, oh, I went to a school in Boston, you know, like, because you know, there's like this huge emotional reaction. <laughs> People are like, oh, you must be so smart. And I think I acknowledge that. I'm like, yeah, there is a lot of clout that comes with going to Harvard. I can say, people ask me what college I went to. And I say, I go to Harvard. They don't question if I'm smart. They don't question if I know how to learn. They automatically assume that, right? And that opens up a lot of doors. And so in that mm. sense, I don't regret it. I also worked my ass off to get into Harvard. Like, I I killed myself in high school. Like, I was actually hospitalized for exhaustion, which was unnecessary in high school. Because I literally felt, I put so oh, much pressure on myself. Because I came from a family, like my mom also, my mom also went to Harvard so there was that but also like I we didn't have any money to spend on college so like my only way to go to college was if I got it fully paid for and Harvard has the largest endowment and also has the policy that under with my family's income I would get an automatic full ride so for me there was a lot of pressure like if I'm going to get out of Portland which I really wanted to because it was the whitest major city in the United States I was going to take it upon myself to get into Harvard um and I think like to me it was opportunity and they flew me out like they 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 made it possible for me to be there and like it brought me close to be able to go to New York every week like it's opened up doors in in ways that aren't about academics all right Nadia thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you and to hear kind of your (laughs) rants kind of your story all of it just a conversation joe you want to take us out again that's a wrap on episode 20 can't believe we're finally here thank you again nadia for hopping on the episode with us this was a great conversation if any of you guys want to get in contact with us our information will be in the description and so will nadia's for everything that you can contact her through for sure and as always it's the dwd podcast keep on growing we out peace peace